Hey guys, Bryce here from Flex Cortex. All content on the Flex Cortex podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitution for medical advice from a qualified health professional. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Back to this week's episode of Flex Cortex. Today we are joined by James Thayer and Mr. Ian McKay. Today we're going to be talking about training psychology, uh, and James and Ian will be kind of speaking about their own training psychology and things that they implement with their own clients. So let's dive into that. First of all, we are honored to have you both on the podcast. Thanks for making the time, guys. Yeah, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. This will be a fun one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be interesting, yeah, for sure. So kind of to start us off, uh, do you have any psychological quote-unquote tricks for yourself or clients during training? And if so, what are they? We can mm. start with Ian. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's a super good question. Like, again, I guess it depends on, like, when I'm working with an athlete, am I working with a general population? Like, what is their psychology coming in? Like, some people are coming in with, obviously, you know, insecurities, and then some people are coming in with, like, hyperconfidence versus the athlete to the general population. So I, I think instead of tricks um, for, for the psychological component of it is, like, just finding that deep reasoning of why. Like, why are you doing something? What are you looking to get out of it? And what are you looking to get out of it today versus the person you're looking to become? So having those deeper conversations about what is their intended, like, outcomes um, and what their current state of psychology is, is I think more, I guess if I were to say a, a trick would be just having an honest conversation about it and then imploring them to obviously de- dig deeper into that each time we hit something, you know, new that they, they, you know, they had a limiting belief and now they're, they're coming out of that. That's, that's something that I often find with both athletes and general pop that work very well. Very fair. Always, uh, keeping an honest dialogue. It's important. Yeah, and I'll kind of feed off of um, that with mine. It's it's knowing how they are day to day and having that dialogue so you can adjust or adapt things as needed, letting them like have a set plan going in, but being able to alter it as needed. Um, so if they're having a really good day, looking at, okay, let's try to hit, um, not necessarily changing the plan, but let's look at if we're working in um, totals, trying to hit larger sets with that. If it's a harder day, if it's more stressful, maybe we'll pull back on um, some of the total volume or um, some of the later exercises to um, just accommodate where they are day to day. And that starts with the conversation and having that open discussion with your clients. Um, As far as like, I don't know necessarily that I'd say it's a trick, but like one thing in my own training that I'll use um, on... uh, It started subconsciously and then became a little bit more conscious of it. Um, But on harder sets or harder lifts, um, sometimes I'll notice uh, using Mm -hmm. physical signaling to try to maintain focus on something. So in some of my videos, uh, you'll see like me do like snapping. And so it's just going through doing a couple snaps and kind of like a dog clicker where it just refocuses the attention away from anything else going on in the surroundings and just on a singular noise and singular focus to try to maintain a uh, mind frame or mindset in that particular moment in preparation for a lift. 
Okay, kind of like a refocus. Um, that actually reminds me of like almost meditation, almost where you're like coming back to the breath. But in this case, it's like, all right, you got a job to do. You got to do this lift. So you're going to power through. Violent meditation. Violent meditation. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very interesting too. Like I know it's like the approach. me and Thayer kind of talked about that once before. And it, it, it almost drew me in to like start to recognize on 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 times that i wasn't focused like just thinking about the snap and then i started to recognize like what am i doing at those times where especially if i miss a lift or i'm doing something like that like there or, or any anyone like would you when you go into a lift and it's not to say you have necessary apprehension but is there something that pulls you out of that that even for your own psychology um you know like that that snapping helps but do you ever have anything that you know pulls you out of an apprehension in a lift where you might like ooh, this is going for a pr or a max it, do you have anything like that there or anyone um <clears throat> say for me like uh, mm -hmm. it's i try to be more conscious of getting in and out of those states and like you mentioned we've we've talked about this a little bit but um but the i think the older i've gotten the less susceptible i've been to getting pulled out of those states because i'm more deliberate in how i implement them um so as far as like if it's if it's a routine, like setting a certain song, that song is only used during certain lifts. And as soon as that's over, it's turned off or changed to the next song. Um, just trying to like control variables to the best of um, the possibility. And especially in the gym that I work out in, there's a lot of distraction training going on. So mm. um, in hindsight, that's probably helped quite a bit on being able to uh, approach a lift or approach the bar with a tunnel vision just because it's been a necessity. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been more and more mindful of how I approach that and um, how to utilize uh, a sympathetic and parasympathetic state in and out of the lift and not just try to maintain one or the other, but use one when is needed and then get out of that state whenever the other one has to be called upon yeah okay very cool kind of uh utilizing that uh in wired fight or flight response to fight through the set but not to get overloaded by the adrenaline or cortisol you're kind of like all right now back to mm. almost like the zen state that a lot of people will get in the gym uh ironically from that fight or flight i think it comes down to your like your arousal too right I think, yeah. we, I think we've talked about that in labs before when it comes down to, especially if you're using like, um, like ammonia or if you're using any kind of any, any of those things that can obviously affect your arousal state, which can affect mm -hmm. the focus that you're going into with that set. So I've actually definitely had experiences personally where I've overstimulated and I've missed <laughs> lifts because I can't focus. But then I've also had times where, you know, like I've actually understimulated mm -hmm. or like the arousal point is at a good point where I'm actually able to focus enough on the lift. So I would say that that's all crucial as well as obviously the mentality of it. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Like you only know those lines whenever you've crossed them a little bit and you know when to pull back or when to push ahead on them. Um, kind of getting back to the original conversation around my clients. It's like, that's one of the things that should go into the conversations you're having with that client is, are they in a heightened, more sympathetic state or are they in a parasympathetic state? Because 
you can initiate or trigger or assist or utilize that in the preparation for the workout. And so in your warmups, like that's where, at least in my experience, it can be best identified. And if I'm looking at like breathing mechanics or utilizing breath outside of like bracing during the workout, that's where I'll put it in is in the warmup, trying to initiate a parasympathetic state if somebody's gone through a very stressful day and it's and they're exhausted from that uh, flight or fight sensation that they've had to maintain because of um, stressful job or just what's going on with the day. And so if they're in that state coming into a training session, it's trying to get them into a more parasympathetic state. And one way we can look at that is utilizing breath mechanics and breath patterns during those warmups. So instead of associating a time or a rep scheme to a corrective exercise or a warm-up, we can put a breath pattern to that cycle. And so instead of like, if we have to, we can go a one-to-one, but we we would want to look at like disassociating a one-to-one to maybe a two or a three. So for example, if we're doing a single leg RDL, instead of breathing at the top, I guess inhaling, holding, bracing, uh, exhaling at the bottom, rebrace, go back through. Instead of that, like one-to-one of movement mechanics, we look at if we can disassociate that breath pattern to allow that to extend out a little bit. So it's, okay, I'm going to brace at the top of a RDL or single leg RDL, and then I'll go through two or three of those trying to maintain that one breath and be efficient with um, my energy usage in that, again, to, to help going out of a sympathetic state down to a parasympathetic state. And by the same nature, we can look at if we have somebody that's lethargic, if we have somebody that um, if they're off of a stimulant like caffeine, if they're an early riser trying to get workouts in, or like if it's something like that where they're more in a tired state or more already in that parasympathetic state, we can try to challenge breathing mechanics to elevate them a little bit more parasympathetic going into the workout. And it's the same concept as um, the delayed or uh, utilizing more exercise to fewer breaths. We just inverse that of upping the breathing ratio to mechanics. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's something that I'll look at sometimes in, in those conversations of, do we need to alter breathing patterns in association to preparatory movements? And I think that's so important. Like, I, thanks so yeah. much. Like that's, that, it's so important to talk about in, in the way you laid it out. Like I, I, a lot of the times will do something kind of similar and, and kind of think about that. Like it's better to be a, a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Like you kind of have to come in at the right mindset, but at the same time, your physiology is going to dictate that. And sometimes doing that single leg work, you can see a, you can see that they're not fresh with your central nervous system, right? They're kind of fumbly, they're breaking down, you know, you can add the breath in, but that's also going to give you an insight if they're really at a high competency of movement. Um, or sometimes I do a loaded carry when a client comes in. Um, one, to kind of get their, their activation up, to kind of give them a load to kind of work with, test their grip strength. If their grip strength's weak, it's probably a diminished central nervous system. Um, so, yeah, like you, what you said there is like number one there. You kind of like crushed it. Yeah, I do kind of wonder, uh, you know, maybe you guys know with the research, like I, I actually wonder how that might affect, you know, retention weight, uh, rates or like how uh, 
if clients will actually stick to their workout habits if you know their trainers mm-hmm. aren't bringing them into that you know relaxed state beforehand and only getting them into that arousal state when you know they need to really push because if you're constantly you know stressed mm-hmm. out and on throughout the entire day because you have a stressful job you have you know a family or kids or something that's always keeping you kind of on and then it's the same thing when you get to the gym you know you're not gonna um not want to you know keep going to the gym necessarily because you need you need just a second to yourself yeah absolutely it's and i'm i'm not sure on the research but like this is really where it goes into the rabbit hole of the individual and um less so being just a like trainer and more so being a coach and being able to individualize your approach to the person because by the same note of like getting somebody comfortable being in the session so if somebody comes in very very stressed and you can alleviate that for them through preparation work and uh, kind of maintain it as a de-stressing effect and that's exactly what they need um, I'd imagine retention rates would reflect uh, coaches and trainers that can better utilize those tools for their client. But by the same note, you know, we've, we probably all had clients that are, um, have high stress jobs, but they're the, um, they have an association of exercise where it's sensation based and they want to feel like they've worked out or they want to feel like they've, the workout kicked the shit out of them. And so like, as a as a coach looking at okay like this is what that person feeds into do they really need this right now or do we need to try to reframe this mindset or trying to find that middle ground of where can we get the work that we need to where can we get them in states that we need to get them in but still feed into that a little bit because they like it and where can we isolate it that it's not going to be a huge disruption to the rest of the progress we're trying to make in the program yeah i mean like ultimately some people are you know ultimately they're the client we're not you know as trainers you're not a psychologist per se you use psychology all the time but you know if the client wants to you know have sessions that you know beat the shit out of them and that's their goal i mean we got to be there kind of to facilitate that as long as it's you know being productive for that person because some people like the pain i mean no, no kink shames here because you know some people just like to and you get their ass to, kicked yeah 100%. i was just gonna say that you kind of have to know like sometimes bringing attention people might come in and they they thrive in a sympathetic state and like that sounds you know it sounds ridiculous to a lot of people but they are thriving in that and they're using that and sometimes if you draw them out of it it actually perpetuates anxiety or it perpetuates this frustration that they just like hey i'm just here to do the work and I think that deeper reasoning why that we talked about earlier, where you just come to a greater understanding prior to that session, prior to even starting training, that we are looking at a physiological body and we need to address psychological states. But within that, you, you kind of have to be respectful where people come in on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, very true. I've, uh, personally, I've had some sessions actually where, and it's probably just how I've developed as a, as a coach and as a trainer um, with, with time experience. But when I was first starting out, I definitely had sessions where, um, clients would come in and like a lot of GP clients and obviously they had a really stressful day at work and they weren't really mentally there, but I would again, go based off of that sensation versus stimulation thing. Right. And put them through a workout, put them through what we had planned, put them through what we had scheduled versus now, if I have a client coming in, they're super stressed. 
lots of the times we'll just do like breathing work and we'll just do like flexibility slash mobility work, quote unquote, right? Um, just kind of, again, adapting to what they need and also looking at like the dose response relationship too, right? Like they don't really need that and that extra stimulus might not actually benefit them in that sense you can even just follow up with a finisher that's that's what i was going to do is just like if you want to if you want to go in and get them kind of moving and then follow up with a finisher as long as people like people in real time aren't really monitoring themselves as long as the end of the workout you put them with like med ball slams or just doing something that is is not a huge tax on like movement proficiency but it's going to make them sweat it's going to make them sore it's going to make them feel like work their ass off the dosage has been low at uh, at the high stim you know ratio or high intensity ratio but you also got that competency work uh, done that uh, on the activities they actually have to work on at a low at a when their motor threshold is high right so you know you can always tailor it in a way that you're like hey we're going to keep it low intensity until the end but they're still going to feel like they really crushed it so it, you can always kind of tailor it as you go go ahead there that was my bad no, no, I, I think you took it in a better direction than I was going to take it. Like, I, I was just going to give the example to kind of highlight, um, like, the the difference in sensation, how that individualized, and, like, how we can manipulate that or utilize that. Like, I always think of um, during sports, I did a lot of ice baths. And, like, like, not for the, like, whenever I used them, it was because how active I was and like the recovery time was very, very short that we were able to, um, have in between sessions, especially like two a days for football. It was more so like pain management and stress management and like actual recovery. Um, but looking at it now, like, I, I like the the thought of a nice bath less so in the sense of um, for the recoverability of it because that has been challenged a little bit but more so sensation training and looking at parasympathetic and sympathetic states that has everybody here done a nice bath before no no, no? I want to though okay so perfect this might be a fantastic challenge for you guys like whenever um, Whenever you get in like cold water or like an ice bath, there's going to be two reactions. Either somebody is going to be very, very sympathetic and there's going to be a huge reaction and almost a fight against it. Or people in a, a parasympathetic state that are going to be very calm, relaxed and just kind of accept it. And so with with that type of medium, um, it's just a it's a quick physical um, implementation that we can have to challenge those different states. Um, it's something like with that, you can look to, uh, like Wim Hof does some breathing stuff and like there, there can be some validity in that it's not the one and only way to use breathing, but more so just using that stimulus as an example for the challenge in reaction to parasympathetic and sympathetic state. And if we were doing that as like a training stimulus, how to bring somebody from that initial reaction to of a sympathetic state to more of a parasympathetic state and kind of accept, accept that stimulus and um, ease into it a little bit more. It, it's going to help reduce um, not only their reaction, but it's going to help reduce blood pressure, going to help reduce their heart rate their breathing mechanics are going to calm. Um, that's just an example that came up to, or came into my mind whenever we were talking through this, that it's that 
outward, external, physical tool that we can help reinforce that, that we're trying to challenge people um, without that stimulus. So looking at like different ways that we can internalize that to get them um, to similar ratios of that. But it's just, again, an external example that came out whenever we were having this discussion. The next, very, very fair. The next uh, idea for our YouTube channel, hey? Yeah, exactly. We'll do an ice bath. <laughs> Not together. <laughs> individually. <laughs> no, they're we'll Might specify. Be way funner. You two just jump in an ice bath with some microphones and just chat Chatter, it up. Probably. Yeah, podcast. Do a podcast. We'll, yeah. We'll see if we can podcast in the in the ice bath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an idea. So when how do you gauge how do you introduce that that type of concept? so that you're kind of on the same page with like clients and athletes and, you know, for an RPE or, an, you know, reps and reserve or whatever you want to kind of define their stimulus fatigue and recovery ratios at, um, how do you, how do you, how do you there, Bryce, anyone kind of get them to understand that or start that way? Yeah. So, so with it, like RPE, RIR, like both are subjective metrics and, and when there's subjectivity, in how we're looking at things like, like sometimes it can be challenged that they're not the best system. And I would agree, but it's only limited to the coach's ability to explain that to the client. And then the client decide for themselves what those ratios or what those numbers are, because we can show them a scale and like, Oh, this is like 10 is supposed to be the worst, the hardest thing, but like, it's, again, it's subjective based on their prior experiences that if we have, if we can find a way to relate that scale to something a bit more personalized, I think, um, that, that helps the implementation of it a little more or a little easier to transition that in. Um, so like if, somebody was an athlete, they might have an understanding of what that exhaustion, what that pain ratio is that you can relate back to their athletic endeavors. Like if, if I were to have like a client that had formerly wrestled and especially like wrestled for a long time or at a high level, I know I went through that. And so I know like they have an understanding of what exhaustion is. And so trying to relate it to that. Whereas if, if you have a client with a very, very low training age and, um, and they're not used to a gym setting they're you know, their 10 might just be uncomfortable. And, and it's not necessarily the fact that we as trainers or coaches should diminish that. It's just trying to find an understanding of this is what it is for them. We know that if, if you were to describe a 10 in exhaustion, like you wouldn't be talking to me right now. You'd be sprawled out on the floor, but they don't understand that. And it's not, and it's not necessarily that we need to challenge to get them to that extreme so they can understand it and then reflect back because more than likely you might lose that client. If, if that's the approach that you're trying to take, it's just trying to associate something that they come in contact with or have through their, athletics through training or just daily life that we can better associate it and get a common ground of understanding and mutual verbiage. Um, with that being said though, like oftentimes I'm not very reliant on RIR or REP or RPE. Um, like 
I might use it some, but again, it's very subjective. And sometimes I'll just look to other matrix and um, be more dependent on conversation than trying to like impose. This is how many it should be unless they have a very advanced training um, level and really understand what those are. Oftentimes I'll find it is more so as like a second or third implementation that I might try to call upon, but usually not an initial one. Usually the initial ones I'm looking at is the conversations around stress, around sleep, eating, all these things, how you're feeling, does this feel better or worse? Um, and then something um, during um, a transition into online clients, what I focused a bit more on is uh, autonomous totals as far as like total volume on accessory lifts. So if, if I have somebody doing, uh, let's say like bicep curls, instead of me putting um, five sets of 10, I might just put 50 and say, break it up as you feel today or like as you see fit. And so then if I'm tracking that in a block, even though like if, even if my, I have a linear progression to that volume or intensity. So either if I were to add like five pounds each week or, um, five reps each week, I'd be looking at how the dynamic of their breakdown changes. And then the off of that initial week one that they kind of set where it's at. And if there are, are big up ramps or deramps in how they're breaking those sets up. So if somebody goes from, if I give them a volume of 50 and they go five sets of 10 on week one, okay, that's kind of a standard, like there might be some fluctuation in that, but if they can, if in their notes, they're telling me, Hey, everything felt all right. Like this was a good way, you know, no issues there. Then looking at week to week, okay, progressing forward again, might be some fluctuation, but I'm looking for those big deviations that if from week one to week two, I just add either I keep it the same or maybe I add five pounds to the total volume. So now it's 55 but they understand the weight and the exhaustion that they're going to accumulate from the um, five by 10. So then maybe it's sets of 15. It's like, okay, perfect. So like that week three, if we go with that, I know that, Hey, I can keep pushing volume and look at this or mm -hmm. in the next block, if I need to look at pushing uh, weight that we're, we're in an up ramp of how they're breaking up that total volume. Um, in the inverse of that, if I'm looking at, okay, week one, they did, uh, the five sets of 10, and then it goes down to, um, 10 sets of five, like that drastic of a jump. That's where I need to look at, okay, what, what happened this week? What was different from week one to week two? Let's talk about some of these things. Where are these stressors? Was this a one-off where, Hey, just a bad day. And it's something that we can account for in like watch, but don't need to change. Or is it just that that big deviation is going to carry on and we need to adjust and readapt how we're approaching either this exercise, this load, or this volume amount? Yeah, that's perfect. Very fair. I Very comprehensive, too. Uh, go ahead, Oh, Ethan. no, I was just going to say that. Yeah, it's very comprehensive, and it's it's just a good way to, like, it's, it's you can do as many reps as you know, many reps as possible and just those different iterations of, of how people can train and you can watch them. And 
almost real time week to week. So that's, that's a perfect gauge, right. For performance. And like, I know for myself too, sometimes it's, it's hard to, some people just go in and they might not have the same mentality as an athlete. So sometimes, you know, instead of gauging an RPE or an RIR or doing something like that, which is perfect, it's, it's sometimes I'm measuring, you know, did you sleep and are you at a caloric consistency, right? So you're also just measuring their rate of recovery based on, you know, lifestyle habits. And then you should inversely be able to watch them obviously increase their performance variables as well. Well, mm. and, and like where I've really found it's beneficial is from that online space. Cause mm. I'm not direct, like I'll see videos that they send to me, but I'm not there between the sets or outside of the videos. So it's, it's one way for me to read it without telling them, this is what I'm reading. And it allows me to like, it's another metric to be able to assess, to lead into more questions. So without, um, without necessarily needing to front load all the questions week to week of like, here's all your check boxes, like arbitrarily, you know, check the box or give me a rating on this. Like I have a direct metric that I can track that, Hey, I need to find out more about how this week was going that you might not have told me or hey this is you're cruising on this cool like everything good anything changed no perfect we don't need to dive deeper down into it or i don't need to have a box of 10 to 20 questions that every week you're subjectively marking good bad okay things like that um so yeah that's where i've kind of found some benefit to the implementation of that yeah, it's, I think it's important yeah. to only address a problem when a, a problem arises. Yeah. Well, it's it's all about having metrics that can open the door for the conversation, right? So that's really all it is. It's just mm -hmm. gauging how that client's feeling for that week and how they're progressing week to week. Um, again, like I, I do use RPE for a lot of my online clients. But like you said there, um, it opens up the door to if there's like a big differentiation in RPE and even load, then you can even ask them other questions, right? Uh, it's like, well, how is your sleep? How is, how's your stress? How is your, your meals? You know, how is your water? Which I mean, I have all of that on the check-in sheet anyways, but mm -hmm. it's, um, it's more about creating awareness and uh, making them realize where they can grow and kind of improve as uh, an individual or as a client too. Mm -hmm. And it's all about that transparency, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and with that, like, by no means am I saying that people shouldn't use RPE or RIR. It's more so just for me specifically, like what I look for. At the end of the day, like it's all tracking metrics. And the more metrics a coach has and tools that they can better implement to get their clients the best results, fantastic. Like we should, we should always be trying to do that. We uh, should always be trying to um, improve the progress that our clients are making. We should always strive to know our clients better so we can have these discussions and we can identify some of these things. Mm. It's just, it, it's, yeah, it's just kind of the conversation of like, hey, it's subjective. And as long as you accept that that's subjective and it should be individualized to the client, not trying to um, get the client to, base it on a preset scale of like just an arbitrary one to 10, but like it's that scale is individualized for that client. And we have other metrics to go off of to that. We're not just dependent or just reliant on this one metric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The more metrics, the better, like you said before, 100%. Yeah. 
I think uh, a good segue is, you know, switching gears from clients a little bit to you guys. Um, so what are some benefits of exercise that you've noticed in your own personal lives for your self-image and mental health and kind of the benefits there? And you want to go first or you want me to? Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, you You run your show here, buddy. I, I have I have a good thing to say, but I, I need to formulate it kind of. I really want to hear you say. <laughs> okay. Um, so it uh, just trying to make sure we're not like running over each other. So uh, Tanner, sorry, one more time. What was the question in whole? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so what are some of the benefits you've noticed uh, for your own self-image and mental health uh, through exercise? Um, for me with exercise, it's, it's a constant thing. Um, it can be a de-stressor and just like a step away from everything. Um, and, and with that, with it being, it being one of the most, as far as a setting, a very controllable variable in my life. So with, with that, with having the ability to control that um it offers consistency even though in that it's like the workouts are always going to be different um the exercise ratios weights volumes um just the gym itself will be inconsistent but having the a consistent concept of okay like these are the days i work out here's the time frame um that's been very beneficial in uh, for me, it gives me something to look forward to. Again, not just the exercise, not just working out, but the environment itself. So I always have had that positive association to look forward to. And just overall, it's a um, de-stressor in itself. That, that some of those more stressful days um, or harder days, it's a way to get out of that mental state. Um, and as Ian and I have talked about before, it's it's a way to exhaust the body to settle the mind. So if you're in your head too much, um, by adding that physical component, um, for me at least, I'm not able to stay in my head because the demands of physical load or physical volume that it takes me out of that headspace to get me more focused in the task at hand. And so indirectly from that, like it, it will help help change my mood and there is all biochemistry behind what's actually going on than just um my mood changing but uh but yeah it can it can help improve or level out my mood uh can also help with um sleep that night on very stressful days which then leads to the a greater ability to recover and a more beneficial or positive influence of all those traits as far as move uh mood recoverability um things like that yeah exactly and to kind of piggyback off that because that's exactly it is um for myself i know like i'll kind of touch on like the mental health is huge and i'm right online with there on that one um and again that that idea of ritual consistency routine like that that's huge in your life and especially when it becomes something that's empowering um so like the self-image part of it is you know sometimes those thoughts that might be busy in people's minds or, or myself is, you know, less than self-deprecating. You just kind of got to check on it, do things that you need to do to kind of deal with it. But when you're exercising, you know, something's heavy that I always like to attribute that to just life. Life can just get heavy sometimes or expectations can overwhelm. Um, but when you do rip a dead lift from a floor and you're hitting new PRs, it, it actually should just be a signal to yourself that 
within your own self-discipline, your, your belief in your self-worth, your growth potential, um, you can just get stronger. And I think that that strength then directly associates back to how you deal with, you know, the little things in life. Something so little can feel overwhelming uh, at times. And then you go into a gym and you work out and you realize that just, just fucking try, <laughs> just try, just pick that shit up, just push it, just, just give yourself the permission uh, to maybe not nail it, but put the valiant attempt forward to witness your strength and you get to bring that back into anything else in your life tenfold. And uh, I think people often miss that. I, I feel like we're in a weird time right now where like if I look at social media and I look at, you know, the health and fitness industry, it's a lot of people like the fucking dry scooping and whatever else. The health and fitness industry is, is really just a bunch of random chaotic people doing the least healthy things to get famous in the name of health <laughs> and fitness. And it's like, what the fuck is happening? And, and I see it as also like, uh, you know, people that are perpetuate, perpetually like going on, you know, Instagram and doing this, like the, you know, showing yeah. off that I'm this cut all the time and then not getting the likes or not being able to sustain that. And, and there's a lot of this that I think gets lost on people that, that can benefit mental health and self-image. But I think they both have to be accepted for where they are at in order to grow. And it shouldn't be predetermined on the applause or the accolades of other individuals to get there. And I think that through strength training specifically through strength training in the sense of like big multi-compound lifts having heavy shit on your back you'll be able to witness a very different person lives inside of you if you choose to address that person like i know me and Thayer have said you know sitting at the demon sitting at the table with your demons you know just starting to address those those, those stronger individuals of yourself on a day-to-day -day that may exist within your mind and in your body are only going to give them further permission to come out in the harder situations you you express elsewhere outside of the gym Ian, I love a couple of the points that you hit on um, as far as like what it can do for the individual, specifically strength training or loading, like just the, the confidence that is built in that of the challenge and discovery of self that like they were able to overcome something that like there's that direct correlation of here is the weight I was able to do it. And it gives that instant gratification, instant feedback of challenge and accomplishment that some people don't experience in their daily life or they they weren't able to have those growing up where either they were successful or that they were really challenged. And so there can be quite a, a benefit um, just in that uh, direct relationship of accomplishment that um, some people are lacking in that can help build upon um, confidence and just overall self-image. But then kind of twofold, um, I like some of the points that you highlighted with the fitness industry, because it's, I think all of us that are within the health, fitness, wellness realm, like we, we can kind of understand it, but from somebody or from an outside perspective or somebody that treats it as more of a hobby that, you know, these, um, there, there are certain there's certain things in the fitness industry that, that are like held up and like highlighted, whether it's a person or their persona, or it's like some activity like dry scooping or something like that, um, that it, it's held up as an example of health when, whenever really it's, it's the opposite and it can be detrimental long-term. Like, like, I don't know, for me personally, whenever I look at like some of these, like six, eight week challenges that people do. And like, you see the progress, like there's nothing wrong with that, but it should continue to progress. There's an issue mm -hmm. if in, if in, um, 
you're doing, you know, four, six, eight week challenges every year and your starting point looks the same every single time of those challenges. Like clearly we're just, we're just diving into, 100%. we're just diving into a short term focus and never really addressing the behavior change that got you to week one. So if your week one looks the same every single challenge, even though they're spaced months or even years apart, like there's the issue that's never, that's never really addressed or that behavior change or like the development of a habit is never created because there's that dependency on that eight week weight loss challenge or um, the performance base. I know so many people that, you know, they'll go and do um, like prepare for a 5k or like a half marathon or something and so focused on that and then drop off completely for it from it after they've completed or accomplished it. But then it gets in, it perpetuates this cycle of, well, this is what I was doing when I was healthy. So now I have to do one of these to be healthy again. Whereas, and it, it, it's, it's kind of that same conversation of looking at athletes as the most healthy, where if you actually talk to athletes, like health and performance are inverse relationships of themselves. But as a society, we don't necessarily, we don't present it that way. We present that, oh, look at this athlete, their aesthetics are visually pleasing. And like, this is the epitome of health, where really, if you talk to an athlete, they're yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to make it through. <laughs> I'm just trying to survive the season or like, here's all the issues that I have that aren't highlighted, but look, I've got a six pack. Yeah. People are so impressionable, right? And in a society where social media is so big, you see somebody online and like Thayer just said, that you think that's the epitome of health, right? They have a six pack. They're maybe like 10% or 12% year round. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, that's, that's what's seen as quote unquote healthy. Right. So it's like, there's so much, there should be more context behind it and there should be a deeper meaning to it. And then it's all about sustainability too, right? Like you guys mentioned before, but something that you can actually maintain and sustain over a longer period of time, not doing it for six or eight weeks and then looking the exact same. We start over again. Yeah, absolutely. Like it comes back to the why and like, I, I don't want it necessarily to, like sound like it's the fitness industry's fault. I just think it's the nature of the industry of how cyclical it is that like we can look at trends and honestly it operates in a three to five year basis. So how do like, how do we ever correct some of these issues if we're already always restarting to a new population to three to five of the like average um, focus of fitness for somebody. It, it's such a short timeline that the, if you stay in, this arena long enough, like every, like you've heard everything, you've seen everything because it is so cyclical, but for the common person coming into this space, they, you know, they're always falling into this cycle because it can never break unless you stay longer in the duration. And I think it's important to put the onus on the individual too. And, and, and a society that wants to be educated yeah. instead of entertained, 
Um, and, and that's really what I think a lot of it comes down to. Like if we're looking, if we're talking about a fitness space, it's no longer the gym where people, it, it is Instagram. It's looking for the hip thrusts. It's looking for the accolades. It's things like that. And, and I think you really need to talk about the individual for an internal versus external locus of control. So like if, if you don't have an intrinsic evaluation on why you're doing something, you're doing it externally, uh, whether that is for the aesthetic that is very hard to sustain, whether it is for the, you know, I'm lifting this much for the IG, you know, loves, it, it, it ends up just being less about you. So of course it's going to be cyclical for people because it, it was never about them in the first place. And, and that's a really hard thing to break down is one, like there's huge socioeconomic issues taking place if you're talking about internal, external locus of control. Like people that are successful have an internal dialogue like, you know, we're obviously individuals who enjoy exercise. But do we enjoy exercise? Or do we enjoy the outcomes of exercise? And and sometimes it's important to recognize that, you know, some days you don't feel like going to the gym, but you do want to be the person who goes to the gym today because that's important. That's part of your identity. So therefore you have an internal mechanism guiding you to that that place in time and space that you're going to dedicate the idea of you to. You're going to put your time towards it versus external is like I want someone to see me in the gym. Right. Like I, I know that, you know, if, if you want it, so many people can't work out at home because no one's watching them work out. Right. It is about being part of yeah. a community, but it's also a little bit about being not well within your mental health enough. And uh, to, to really just be like, oh, wow, I didn't like to exercise. I liked to be, you know, I liked to be acknowledged that I exercise validation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, for me, too, it's, you know looking back at pe these people who are, you know, doing those four or six, eight week programs that, you know, were challenges that always come up every, you know, couple of months from the fitness industry, you know, if you are starting in the same spot, you know, uh, basically you're doing the exact same thing and expecting different results, but unless you've changed your mindset, you're not going to succeed this time because, uh, you know, it's, are you really doing it for you? Like you said, with the intrinsic motivators, or are you doing it because society tells you you have to uh, work out to be beautiful or to be successful or to be healthy or whatever? And uh, sure, the healthy part is true. Mm -hmm. You should exercise to be healthy, but don't do it because society is telling you to do it. Do it because you want to no, do it. The, the mental, the mental part of it. And I think that's it is like, there's no such thing as moving a body without a brain. And I think that a brain is going to tell you whether you're worthy enough to move or not. And that's, that's a mindset area. Right. So I think it always will start with getting people in the right mindset. Yeah. hundred percent. And nothing wrong with, you know, challenges, but there, there has to be, if it gets people started. Awesome. It's the yeah. continuation that has to be. Oh, you have so. to build it into a passion. For sure the motivation versus the discipline aspect right so i mean you can't be working out for that validation or for that pat on the shoulder in a sense right you have to be working out for your yeah, deeper root cause and like finding out what your why is i think we've talked about it in this one and we've talked about it in other podcasts as well um figuring out what what you want and figuring out uh, what you need and figuring out uh, why you're actually training and figuring out why you want to better yourself versus just like, I want to be shredded or I want to be that body fat percentage or trying to find that validation from peers or from people that don't really have a true impact on your life. Right. Yeah. And, and like, I think this opens up the conversation since it was already touched on a little bit of like motivation, like that, that's what's going to 
define a trainer whenever somebody signs up like by and large they're motivated like it's easy to like start training them because they're open to the concept and conversation around that because they want to make change but it's whenever whenever it gets hard whenever they lose that motivation whenever you hit those slumps that you're trying to trying to um or I guess the like true colors of a trainer comes out, if they're able to sustain that client, if they're able to um, continue to get them progress and not necessarily that in some settings um, it is appropriate to be a cheerleader and approach it like that. Um, it also depends on what kind of trainer you're going to be, but like it, that can't be the foundation of which your training is, is set on because it's, it's a finite fuel source and trying to develop, trying to develop that ability to enjoy what the process is or be able to um, be able to arrange it in a way that it's it better accommodates where they are at the time. And so if that looks at changing, changing the training style of something that maybe is new, fresh, or that they're more interested in um, to hold their attention at that time, it's looking at okay, do we need to back away from intensity for a while because we've run that too long or too far or there's some outside stressors? Or is it looking at, okay, where, where are some things that we control, can control outside of the gym to help make a better gym experience coming into it and leaving that space? Uh, but just to kind of, you know, wrap things neatly in a bow, what are your guys' kind of, you know, final thoughts as, you know, some tips to a new trainer getting into it? Uh, what psychologically would they usually overlook for their clients that would lead to success and retention? We've touched upon a lot of that already in our conversation, but just kind of some, you know, final thoughts. One last thing you want to get in there uh, to tell those uh, clients or new trainers. Um, I'll kick it off. So one thing I'd say for new trainers looking at the, like working with clients, evaluating the psychology is like something that new trainers are notorious for are they want to prove how smart they are, where they want to prove that like they should be your trainer. And oftentimes they try to accomplish that by, by proving how smart they are, by talking about everything that they just learned in their certification or the workshop they went through, they want to share all this information with somebody that's not going to be as passionate as they are. Like that's why they're a trainer and the other person's a client because they don't care about fitness as much as that person. And so instead of, instead of trying to build your relationship and self-worth on like, I'm the expert here and like, look how smart I am. Like look at trying to meet the person where they are at the time that they're coming into your space and that you're meeting them. Like they, they don't need to know. They don't need to know all the anatomical terms. They don't like, don't try to talk above them, meet them at the verbiage level. They are meet them um, at kind of in the, the level that they are in interest motivation. You probably will need to be a little above that um, because they, they might be lacking for it. They might, um, be a little apprehensive to starting or initiating, um, this change, but, but yeah, don't try to overwhelm them and prove to them that you're a good trainer just in conversation. Look at like, 
how can I meet this person where they currently are in their life and how can I make this relatable to how it's going to benefit them outside of the gym because they they don't care about the gym as much as you. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I honestly, and that's, that's it. So I, I think that that's really important that I'm going to talk about probably the trainer psychology um, and then how that adjacently will affect the, the client in the sense of you kind of have to be aware of transference, right? Like you kind of have to go into training individuals knowing that you are, you're at a job, right? Try not to become best friends with them. You need to kind of have that separation, but at the same time, you should know their kid's name, you should know their dog's name, you should know their birthdays, you should know the individual that you're talking to, but you should also have a way that you hold, not, it doesn't have to be like known as authority, but that is what they're, they're hiring you as a professional. Uh, so go in as a professional, humble enough to, you know, like, like Thayer was just saying, not try to flex at them all the time. But give them the information they need. Make sure they stick to it. Make sure there's accountability, um, and and that's really it. Like, and if you're a good trainer, you're going to hold them accountable to the things you know they need to do without having to go into the depth of you know terminology that they don't give a shit about or don't understand. Um, but it's also really important that because you can't you can't be successful in every client because they're only going to see you as often as they see you, and if they're online, even less. Uh, you can only try and hold them accountable through obviously conversation and words. So if you're not careful and you don't have a good amount of transference uh, protection, you're going to think that you failed them. And you should obviously look at that. But at the same time, you should also look at this is a person that needs a specific type of help. And for the psychology of the trainer, it's important to know when to refer out. I know we've talked about that before. Know when to trade it up and send them to a different trainer and have a good uh, rapport with trainers around you. It's not always competition. Uh, we kind of talked about that Red Sea versus Blue Sea before. Um, and, and I think that's really important is understanding that your psychology, what you're going in with is, is going to impact the client and, and to make sure that you, you know, hold yourself accountable for holding them accountable. Beautiful. It's, uh, you know, if we can put it simply, it really is just saying, you know, to make it client centered training and progression. They're ultimately the, you know, they're running the show. They're the the director of their lives, and that includes the training because they ultimately are the boss. Even if we, as trainers, you sometimes have to act as the boss, you know, to actually get them motivated and mm-hmm. get the work done. It is their direction that they ultimately want to go, and as trainers, trying to facil- facilitate that to the best of our ability. One hundred percent. I think that was great. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Bryce? I just want to make sure that everybody's done talking since I have a delay here. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I definitely think that starting out, I mean, I haven't been in the industry too long now, just a, a, bit, a little bit over a couple of years, but I think I had that issue with trying to, especially being like in a commercial gym at first, you're trying to, mm-hmm. like, like they were saying, flex and act like you are a lot smarter than you actually are. And in doing that, you're probably actually turning them off of wanting to train with you because they don't understand anything you're talking about. They don't really care about the insertion or, or to origin of a muscle. They don't really care about muscle action or muscle function. They just care about like, oh, I want to get bigger biceps and this will, this will do it. Awesome. And that's like really all they care about. And then like you guys said before too, showing that you know who they are showing that you care like if they have something big coming up being like oh like how was your weekend um i know that you said that you had you know a big dinner with your girlfriend's parents like how'd that go like those are the things that will actually keep them as a client and i've said it before in other podcasts but 
I have sold a lot of clients just simply by sitting in there in a consult and listening to them, treating them as a person and realizing that they just need help. They just need somebody that they can talk to and somebody that they can trust and somebody that they can actually progress with and somebody that understands where they are. Well said. Exactly. Well, all right. Uh, thank you guys so much for, you know, coming on today and, uh, you know, being part of the podcast. We obviously enjoy having you guys on. Uh, we've had you on a couple times now, uh, Ian, a few times there, a couple times. Uh, we're probably going to want to have you guys on in the future. Uh, but where can everyone kind of keep uh, keep up to date with you? Um, so if, uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, um, find me at uh, Thayer2513 on Instagram. Um, pretty easy to get in contact with me just through messaging on that. Or if you want to reach out through email, it's w or uh, byproductperformance at gmail.com. And for myself, if you're looking to get a hold of me, you can find me on Instagram as well at Ian period McKay underscore. Uh, you can message me on there or you can reach out at Ian at McKay PTS, Peter Tom Sally.com. Perfect. And, you know, uh, as always, uh, if you're interested in more of these podcasts, uh, Ian does have his own podcast where he's actually talked there where they've had some great uh, uh, conversations. So check out Reflection Studios, uh, the podcast. Um, and yeah. And Thayer will be starting up his own too. Woo woo! Yeah. So. Stay tuned for that. But yeah, Stay tuned we, for that. We appreciate you guys coming on. And uh, as usual, it was a great conversation. And we look forward to the next one. Likewise. Really appreciate it, guys. Right. Appreciate you having us anytime. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.